The following is a production of the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, be sure to visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts. This is Serious Serious Fun. Hello and welcome to another episode of Serious Fun. I am your host, as always, Dr. Brian Carr. It's a new year. It's a new podcast. Well, not really. We're we're kind of just doing the same stuff and expecting different results. It's somebody's definition of something. Anyway, this time around, we've got a really great show for you. Uh, one of the things I've been wanting to do uh, since I started this show was... Do an episode on professional wrestling. Professional wrestling is one of my semi-secret fandoms, uh, something I really have appreciated for many, many years, and I think has a lot of academic relevance and value. I mean, it really kind of intersects across a bunch of different fields. You got an athletic component to it, you got a business component, you got a theater component, you got a media component. So there's a lot of different things uh, that I think this particular genre of entertainment lends itself to. But one of the things that I think uh, has a ton of uh, overlap with uh, this genre is the world of comics. And that's where we're going to kind of pick up today. Our guest this week is Lan Pitts. Lan Pitts, in addition to being a uh, guy who's written about comics for a very long time, uh, contributor to Newsarama.com, he's also one of the writers working on the WWE Comics series for Boom Studios. So this is a comic series, as we'll talk about a little bit later on, that attempts to kind of fill in the gaps around some of the famous storylines and matches in the World Wrestling Entertainment organization. So this is a really cool interview because it really, I think, gets at uh, a sort of cool transmedia kind of connection that we haven't really thought about before. Uh, And so without further ado, here's Lan Pitts on Serious Fun. Everybody's got a price. Everybody's gonna pay. All right, well, my guest today is Lan Pitts, one of the writers working on the WWE Comics series for Boom Studios. His latest project is a story in WWE Forever number one that comes out on January 30th. Lan, thank you for being on Serious Fun. Uh, hey, yo. <laughs> So I, I, I here's here's something we're gonna have to set up like right off the bat. Um, a lot of people listening to this are gonna have no idea what some of the references we're gonna make are. So I'm gonna have to try to explain them once in a while. And um, like like there's there's a couple answers to some of the questions because uh, I, I sent you the questions uh, ahead of time and gave back some answers and um, some of them are like, okay, yeah, I totally get that means, but I'm gonna probably have to explain this to the academics or the people who don't follow wrestling that are listening. Right, that's understandable. Uh, I mean, most of my yeah. dialect is Simpsons quotes and wrestling, so I mean, it's <laughs> it's fine. So I always like to start off with kind of the broad question, uh, and I always like to kind of lo- learn a little bit about uh, the folks who come on the show, where they came from, how they got started, that kind of thing. So tell us the Land Pitts story. How did you get into the line of writing WWE comics? Because it's not necessarily the first thing you'd think of when you think comics writer. No, no uh, it's it's... 
it's, I guess, a kind of a long journey because I've been writing professionally for 11 years. I, you know, my big employer, Newsarama, have contributed to Shotgun Reviews, Fangoria, uh, stuff like that throughout the years. And a comic book. I was one of the first people at comic book when it really started taking off. So the this the series was announced like fall like september october of 2016 and uh, the editor at the time jasmine amiri and i were um we had mutual friends uh mainly uh spider gwen and um, goddess mode artist robbie rodriguez oh and robbie's awesome big, yeah we're all big wrestling nerds so jasmine was the editor and i covered the panel for work and uh, basically just got a feel of like what they kind of wanted. And so as I say of the show, I'm heading out and saying goodbyes. And Jasmine's at the booth. And I just had the boss to be like, you know, you should let me pitch for you. And she goes, yeah, sure, do it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. That was that was too easy. Uh, she said, just, just don't hand in anything like next two weeks because we're going to be recovering from this show. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got it, got it. So I, I sent it my I sent it my pitches around November, uh, and then WWE gave me notes on what they liked and what they didn't kind of wanted. And Jasmine came back. I'm like, "What do you want to do?" I'm like, "Okay, well, let's do this. Let's do this story right here." So I pitched a Paul Bear story. I pitched I pitched six stories all together. Mm -hmm. They like they like two of them, and so I was like, "All right, here here's the here's the script." Uh, I, I kind of knocked it out in an evening because uh, it, it was just two pages long. So when you're trying to get like a lot of story into two pages, it can be really daunting. But what you just kind of focused on and what I wanted out of the story. So it's basically around the time of Survivor Series 92. And it's Paul uh, looking, over the under looking over the Undertaker and building a coffin. You don't see what the coffin is. Well, you don't see it's a coffin until like the page reveal. And so Taker's just chiseling away at things. Paul's giving him tools and he's making this thing. And then you see that it's uh, Kamala's casket mm -hmm. with the two stars and like the moon on it. And so it was like, oh, yeah, it's, it's, that's kind of setting it up. It's a little short and sweet, but I try to cram in as much of Taker mythos as possible. I even like hinted at like Kane. He went debut mm -hmm. for another five years, but I just kind of put him in that. And then I sent it in. Uh, they gave me a little bit of notes for lettering proof. And then I signed the contract in January. So I, I still had no idea when it was going to come out because the book had just come out. And the first issue was in January of that year when I signed my contract. So I still had no idea when the issue was going to come out and then i got the solicits solicits actually came in june like uh june 13th because uh my birthday's uh june 12th so it was uh, my birthday week uh, and then went out to heroes con and basically everyone had heard the news and i'm going to be doing this thing and it was great so uh long story short i uh, got ballsy with an editor and uh, I don't recommend it unless you're really not tight with them. <laughs> I, I love that story, though, because like there is um, and I, I think there's always this kind of interesting thing. Like some of the best stories are like, I just got the nerve to ask. And, you know, when you I teach my students. Yeah. When I teach my students things, I'm like sometimes like, you know, it, 
it doesn't hurt to just take to shoot your shot and just say, Hey, I would like to maybe try this. And you'd be surprised at where you can get, um, you're, it doesn't always work. But... Right. Right. But you still be very surprised, especially if you know, the source material, like I had talked to mm-hmm. Jasmine you know, pretty much that whole weekend, just, you know, marking it up and hanging out. And she, she knew that I knew the product. I knew the characters and I knew how to write a script. Mm-hmm. So she basically put those elements together and was like, yeah, this is, be good at this. It's a and, safe bet. Right, it's a safe bet. And so so, uh, so two years later, they're still keeping me on board with things, and there you go. So I'm fascinated by these comics, and uh, you know, I, I've been wanting to do a pro wrestling-themed episode of the show for a long time, because if there's one thing I'm trying to get away with in my, in my academic work is I want to try to do more stuff with pro wrestling. Um, mostly because it amuses me. And, uh, I, so I've been watching wrestling. I, I probably, uh, I came to it relatively late. I mean, I was aware like back, you know, uh, during the Hulk Hogan era, that kind of stuff. Like I was aware of it. Um, right. I didn't really watch a lot of it. Um, it was really in middle school and like the WCW NWO stuff that I really got in. Um, and then, you know, the attitude era stuff, but like, that's really like, that was kind of the sweet spot of where my wrestling fandom started. And, what I find really interesting about it and, and, and kind of the reason I try to explain, like, you know, I, I talk to people you know, and when the wrestling thing comes up, they're either pleasant, they're either kind of like amused by the fact that I like wrestling and I have a PhD or they're just kind of trying to find a way to end the conversation as quickly as possible. And yeah. one of the things that I try to explain is like, it's this ongoing kind of epic story in a lot of ways, um, equivalent to like a comic book or, or a long running like television serial or something like that. And these comics are fascinating. And I, and I guess what I'm asking is like, if you want to take a moment and explain to the listeners, the idea behind the boom studios, WWE comics, there is kind of interesting transmedia space that reminds me a lot of like the star Wars novels that they back when the extended universe stuff still counted and that kind of thing. This is a pretty common question uh, aside from what's it like writing real people, but we're getting to that later. Uh, you know, wrestling takes up TV time, but even mm-hmm. under a three-hour show, two-hour shows, one-hour shows, everything's real estate. You have to have so much story to get across and spaced out. So you have all this time in between, though. You have all this. You have like another week before something actually mm-hmm. like happens again. But what happens in that week? They don't just not exist. So. In the pages of WWE, uh, the main book, which is uh, written by a good friend, uh, Dennis Hopeless. He's great. He does uh, X-Men. And then he has a Cloak and Dagger digital first series at Marvel, I think, right now. Check that out. What he does is take the empty spaces and fill them in. Why did Seth Rollins betray the shield? Oh, this is why. Because he was talking to Triple H like this whole time. And so we see, like, we're able to do so much more and fill in the gaps and voids of this world, this mythos of these characters. And we like to have fun with it. So and, and I think the best thing is, I think the funniest is that people ask, like, uh, is this canon? Like, is this really <laughs> I mean, it's as real as you want it to be, guys. Yeah. But uh, if you mean, like, it's licensed, yes, we do work mm-hmm. with WWE. Uh, and they have clearance of things. So, sure, I like to think of it as canon. Why not? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it, it is as much as anything else is, right? Right. Um, so I guess I'm kind of like, so it, for those who are not wrestling fans, there's like kind of two concepts. So you have the real human beings playing these characters, right? Um, you have Paul Levesque who plays Triple H on television. And the characters inhabit this space called kayfabe. Kayfabe is the idea that, um, you know, these, so, okay. In real life, Glenn Jacobs is the libertarian mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee. In kayfabe, he is Kane, the uh, horribly scarred brother of The Undertaker. He controls fire. Um, he's undead, all this stuff, right? In your comics, are we essentially saying that kayfabe is real and these characters that you see on television have lives as those characters off TV? 100%. Basically, right. it, yeah, it's basically uh, if you look at uh, the Survivor Series, a perfect example of what I did uh almost two years ago with the Survivor Series special was uh, talking about the debut of The Undertaker. How did mm -hmm. The Undertaker get on DiBiase's team? Well, um, DiBiase heard about this guy in the middle of the desert. He went to go find him, offer cash money. Taker didn't want money. What did he want? He wanted bodies. He wanted destruction. So he's like, well, that I can give you. And so, yeah, that was basically just sort of how those characters met and interacted. So, but that's never explained on TV. Uh, mm -hmm. You have a little bit about like, okay, well, Brother Love picks this guy out of nowhere, and then he hands him off to Paul Bearer. Uh, I think in God was it February, or January '91, he gets the new manager, Paul Bearer, and. Uh, yeah, that, that's basically how it is. It, it's sort of like, uh, I, I kind of uh, relate this to Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine, essentially. <laughs> I don't write stories about Hugh Jackman. I write stories about, you know, I'd write stories about Wolverine. I don't write stories about Mark Calloway in Texas. I write stories about The Undertaker. Right. And I think that's yeah. what, um, and we'll get into the specific story you're kind of here to promote in a minute, but I think uh, from what I have read of these series, that's what attracts me to it. Like, I find fascinating because it is a really good way to kind of be like, um, you know, to watch wrestling is to accept that there's this insane world where insane stuff happens, right? Right. I believe the old expression that Vince and JR used to push in the um, uh, mid-90s to 2000s is that anything can happen in the World Wrestling Federation. Exactly. And, you know, uh, to, to kind of like date this, this we're, we're recording this, I think the week after um, uh, me and Gene Okerlund passed. And yeah. that was a guy uh, that, and uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but like that was a guy that I think added so much to this concept because you have all these like larger than life cartoon characters running around. And here's this guy, this very sort of serious sounding, uh, you know, the guy who, like, you know, just your sort of like standard backstage kind of interviewer announcer you'd see at any other sporting event trying to bring some kind of sanity to the proceedings. Right. And he's just trying to like cover this, like it's a legitimate sports event while macho man's like sleeping, like coffee creamer into his pocket and that kind of thing. Um, right. He, he was, uh, when he, when he, when the, when he passed, I sort of uh, tweeted out that he was us. He was mm -hmm. our point of view into this narrative. He was the voice mm -hmm. of wrestling. He was the voice of the storyteller of trying to get the motivation behind the characters and what they're doing and how is our access to that. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt. 
Yeah, and, and so I think this comic in kind of that way extends that idea, right? So if we care about what happens, we have to buy into the idea that these characters exist and they are people and they have a life, right? And so, uh, you know, at some point, you know, Shinsuke Nakamura has got to go from one arena to the next, right? What does he do in between? Right. That adds to it. And I think that's one of the things I find really, really cool about this series. Yeah, uh, I believe that's actually the current storyline now. AJ and Knock at Mania last year. I, I think mm -hmm. this is working on that sort of thing now. So I, saw, I, I saw a little bit of that. That's why. That's why I was thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's basically these characters are the characters mm -hmm. in the comics. I that, I think that's the main thing that I I don't know if people are confused about a lot of the times like. Oh, do you talk about like their travels or do you talk about their like no, because that's that's not what we really concentrate on. It's it's the fact that you know, Colby Lopez plays Seth Rollins. We talk about mm -hmm. Seth Rollins the character. Right. Like, what does he go through? How does he handle things, et cetera, like that. Yeah. So, so I, yeah. I love this so much. I'm just gonna, <laughs> like I'm trying to be objective, but like this is so great. Um the uh, one of the things I find interesting, and this kind of ties into it, is that if you look at like the comics fandom, uh, a lot of people in the comics fandom have this disdain for professional wrestling, right? It's still like, you know, it's, it's a very mainstream thing. I mean, we just saw, you know, a Fox paid however many billions of dollars to get access to SmackDown. Like there's a very clear mainstream audience for this, but especially in the comics field, you see these people like, oh, wrestling, like they'll barely tolerate. They have a lot of comics friends on Twitter and they're just like, oh boy, here comes Monday night. They're going to talk about the wrestling. Um, but if you look at the stuff that comics fans are into, like, like you know, Superman, Green Lantern, Spider-Man, kind of, this is basically what pro wrestling is, right? It's just these larger-than-life characters. Um, and, and couldn't you argue that? Like, couldn't you argue that essentially what you're doing is taking those same concepts and saying, okay, we're taking this thing that was not really a comic in the first place, but we're kind of putting it in the medium where it most naturally fits. Yeah, and this isn't the first time, obviously, you know, you... Um there was the Ultimate Warrior comic from a while back. The Ultimate Warrior, I mean, yeah, Ultimate Warrior <laughs> comic. The Chaos comics had the license for mm -hmm. a little while. Uh, God, what was it? Titan comics, I think, had another series. I think yeah. Malibu or Marvel had it for a little bit, didn't they? Uh, I know Marvel had the WCW comic series like that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, in the early '90s, yeah. And if you look at those, then everything's horrible. Like <laughs> everything's everything's horrible because I, I don't think they could, they knew exactly what they wanted out of these stories. I feel like when Boom got the license, Jasmine initially put together a really good team. And now editor Chris Rosa has put together, a, I, I, I think a good team whenever he put, you know, slight bias there, but I think he puts together <laughs> when he wants uh, these one shots, but yeah, it's it's really weird when uh, comics people kind of look down on wrestling like it's inferior when it should be on par. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not exactly quite sure why that is. And I know comics aren't for everyone. I know people like, oh, you read comics, you know, mm -hmm. or whatever. That's fine. That's 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 totally fine. It's not everyone's kind of thing. Much like if wrestling fans uh, don't like comics. That's that's fine too, but I, I think that sweet di Venn diagram needs to be more. What's the word? Tolerating, I guess. Yeah. Because, or less insulting, less degradating. Because 
it's a lot of the same stuff. And I, I wrote a I wrote a piece on this a couple of years ago with uh, my editor Chris Arendt over at Newsarama, basically talking. I think we interviewed uh, we interviewed Aubrey Sitterson and uh, Riga Vonner uh, wrestler Leon Saint Giovanni, who uses mm -hmm. a lot of comic characters um, in his wardrobe. Uh, when I think I first saw him before me, he had like Novacore trunks on. Oh, nice. So, yeah, and I think he has like Colossus, Namor, Black Bolt. So, you know, it's mainly like Marvel stuff. Mm -hmm. But even if you look at like, if you look at, uh, I guess, how Mexico City does El Santo, the saint, this guy right. never took off his mask except for once. And then he died like, what, a week later? There's mm -hmm. a statue of him in the center of Mexico City. So it, it, he was, you know, for lack of a better term, a real life superhero. Right. That, you know, it's, it's sort of weird. It'd be sort of weird if, you know, I mean, Philadelphia has the Rocky statue, but I mean, that was a movie prop that eventually just sort of like became part of the city itself uh, in Philadelphia. So mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know why, because I, I think... I think comes up with a lot of the same elements, more you know, tales of morality, great costumes, hard hitting action, yeah. you know, all the drama, everything like that, factions, teams, yeah, you know, so Brotherhood I, 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 of mutants, the NWO, like this right, is all right, drawn from the same material. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. all, it's all the same thing. So yeah, I don't understand because I'm I'm a you know I'm a product of both worlds so to speak. Right. It's 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 good when they can come together on things. I feel like I feel like yeah we we can come together and not dog one another and mm -hmm. have some fun regardless. Well, I think it's interesting. Like you you mentioned that a lot of wrestlers themselves adapt like uh, aspects of these characters into their performance. I mean. Um, Finn Balor for the longest time he was he, he would do the body paint and he would do different characters often superheroes he still has a lot of Venom influence in the demon character um, yeah you know. yeah. I mean you can find old uh, Prince Devitt entrance videos and Fergal's such a nerd he'll oh yeah he'll, he'll be the first to admit it uh, a couple yeah. of years ago we were uh, hanging out with my buddy Mike Mike Kingston who actually has the story uh, in the forever, he does headlocked, and he's uh, friends with the boys. And he was texting Fergal to take pictures of anyone who's in the gimmick. Mm -hmm. So, so no, I mean, explain what in the gimmick means uh, for people who are have no idea what that means. Uh, the character, uh, basically, okay. if you dress like his character, uh, or do the body paint, or mm -hmm. I know people who do like body hose, and then they just kind of like spandex it. Right. So, yeah. Uh, I lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> okay. We were talking. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Finn would do all these sort of things. And now Finn Balor, formerly Prince Devitt. But he has a Bane entrance. He has a Joker entrance. He has a Hannibal Lecter entrance. Leatherface entrance. Like, there's a, obviously, anti. Uh, there's an anti-Venom, anti-Venom mm -hmm. uh, body paint he did. I remember so, that. Yeah, one. The guy, yeah, the guy's a big nerd. So I mean, and a lot I, of these guys I, are big nerds, really. When you get uh, down to it, huge nerds. Well, I mean, yeah. I was just talking to a friend um, about 
uh, Seth Rollins' old uh, Tyler Black name in a Ring of Honor. And that's because he's a huge Harry Potter fan and he wanted to be from the, from the most noble house of Black. And his finisher move, I'm not kidding, you can look this up. His finishing move in Ring of Honor was the Avada Kedavra. That's awesome. So, yeah, he's just a big old nerd. I mean, Zack Ryder has an action figure podcast. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, it's, I don't know, this generation's nothing but nerds, and I'm really proud of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's mean, wholesome. Because you know, if you go, if you go look at like the backstage stories from like the Attitude Era, the you know the, the territory days, it's like nonstop. Like people should be in jail, but like this stuff is just like weirdly wholesome. They just hang out and play video games. Are in jail. Yeah, <laughs> some people are in jail. That's very true. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. And so the fact that certain wrestlers have embraced this. Mm-hmm. Embrace the title, and Boom even had uh, Undisputed Era and uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn cut promos on Dennis is kind <laughs> of great. It's kind of great. <laughs> so, uh, do you work pretty closely with WWE? Then, like, is that are, are they like really fully behind this uh, product? No, they're very. It's it's touch and go depending mm-hmm. on scenario. Like, mm-hmm. uh, um, trying to give a really good example. Oh, first, uh, good example. So, uh, one of the stories I pitched, you know, was the Kamala story. But one of the other ones I pitched was Paul Bearer bringing back Undertaker for uh, WrestleMania 20. Basically, basically, he was buried and now he's going to be resurrected as the dead man. Mm-hmm. So, I was going to have Paul travel the country sort of like doing a uh, almost like a Voldemort uh, summoning spell where he gets like certain ingredients from certain characters. I think I was mm-hmm. gonna like, oh man, Paul interacts with like Papa Shango and oh, now he's gonna go over here and like um, Viscera may have like a, a cult going over here. And I basically explained it and they're like, well, Paul, you know, with the timeline here, Paul really wouldn't, like, interact with these characters. And I'm like, okay, fine. That mm-hmm. makes sense. If you if you want to if you want to keep in continuity, sure, let's just do the other one. So, so they do have notes every now and then, especially with like, uh, being in relations to sort of like likeness rights or mm-hmm. um, keeping things in character completely. Yeah, they, they definitely have a say, but it's uh, they're not my main contact, but they definitely sure. have a uh, their hand in the kitchen, so to speak. Yeah, but they're not hands-off. Like, they're like, oh, we put our license on that? Like, they're right. aware. No, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. So I guess that kind of leads to another question, and uh, we're kind of jumping around a little bit here, just kind of as things go. Like, has there any been like, are, are there characters or wrestlers or storylines that are off limits that's likely to happen? Um, I know there's a few I could probably name off the top of my head that probably won't show up, but I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, that was <clears throat> that was actually one of the um, that was one of the first questions I asked Jasmine uh at new york i'm like hey who can we use and who we can't use and she's like uh obviously chris benoit like well yeah i don't think anyone if you you don't know why google chris benoit that's b-e-n-o-i-t uh you you will immediately know why or you could just 
to give you a better idea, Google Chris Benoit murder suicide. Yes. That might help. <laughs> <laughs> that might help too. Yeah. So uh, this was a couple years ago. So she said, you know, Hogan's still on the blacklist. Uh, mm-hmm. Things may change this year or the coming year. He was just or... on TV last week, right? Or uh, yeah, the uh, last week. Yeah, talking yeah. about Mean Gene. Yeah. Yeah. So. So you, you you never know, and then it comes down to like likenesses. Like um, I wrote a, I wrote the the Rumble special about Ric Flair winning the Rumble, and you know for the vacated world title in '92. Well, the problem is Hogan held was eliminated early on, and he held on to Sid Justice, or also Sid Vicious, also Psycho mm-hmm. Sid. And as Flair eliminated him. So, and then later, he's presented the belt to, uh, by President WWF President Jack Tunney. Mm-hmm. Well, I got notes back. Hey, well, we don't have Tunney's likeness. Okay, huh. cool. And obviously, we can't use Hulk. I'm like, okay, well, I'll figure something out. Yeah, uh, so it's definitely weird how the the people, I guess, also currently like in WWF, you know, WWE lawsuits. Like, I really wanted to tell a Max Moon story, but they weren't like kind of sure uh, since the one of the guys is in the middle of a current lawsuit against them. And so, so like, explain what Max like, Moon is like. What what why what, like what that story is? I don't. Um, do you mean explain Max Moon the character? Uh, yeah, just like what, 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 it, like uh, for folks who are not familiar with it, um, oh, and also me because I'm drawing a blank on Max Moon right now. Oh no, just Google Max Moon. He's a spaceman. He kind of looks like Mega Man. Uh, oh, okay. He had he had arm cannons that he'd do his own pyro when he walked out. Uh, he was actually billed when they announced his name from outer space, Max Moon. So oh, like, okay, wow. this is Co- okay, Conan. Well, one of the first ones. Yeah, yeah, but one of his first gimmicks. Yeah, one of his first ones. I think he wore the suit, and then it handed off to somebody else. But uh, Conan wasn't wearing it for long, if I remember correctly. So I pitched them like, "Oh man, he'll be really cool, like a Max Moon origin story." And they're like, "What?" It's like, "Yeah, like he's he's a fighter on like the moon, and he refuses to throw a fight, so he has to." like go on the lamb and then he crash lands and then like he doesn't know where he is and then he opens up the his spaceship doors and he's outside titan towers how cool would that be and they're like what so <laughs> <laughs> so uh that one was passed on uh which is fine uh it led me to able to tell the story that uh comes out in the forever issue but yeah it's uh it, it's really weird also uh the rock uh, since okay. he hasn't, since he hasn't signed, I guess some kind of deal. Uh, I don't. I, I guess because in certain ways, I guess we can't use like his appearance on like everything. I don't know. I don't know the complete legality to it. I just know that it's a hassle. It's a hassle to get things approved by him. So a lot of the times, I don't want to say we're deterred from 
using him. We are just, they recommend we don't. Yeah, you're encouraged to find alternative routes to your story. Because if, if you, if readers read the WrestleMania issue last year, there was a, the uh, Cena Miz made event at 27, 28. That sounds right. Right. In Atlanta. Uh, and The Rock comes in, but you never see The Rock's face. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's always like he's punching over himself or there's like a sound effect or like he's just standing over people. So you never see the rock's face, but he's in there, but that's just because like they couldn't get things approved in time. It's the same deal with, there was a, I want to say there was a story in the added. Uh, yeah, there was a story in the attitude special by Kevin Panetta, my bud, uh, Kevin and Oh, another, uh, artist done by Domo Stanton another good friend of mine. And, they basically, he's like, oh man, it was going to be like during the, uh, it was the three faces of Foley. Mm-hmm. So, it, but it was basically the premise of uh, Table for Three, uh, which is a thing on WWE Network where it's three legends or three superstars sit down and they just have a dinner and they just talk about a subject. But it's Mankind, Dude Love, and Cactus Jack having dinner with each other. Mm-hmm. So... There was going to be Domo had this huge like rock spread out like he was about to drop the elbow, and they're like we can't do this we don't we don't have the time to get this approved, so he had to change like all these layouts and everything like that. Um, another one which people might have caught on is the McMahon's. Okay, you ne- never see Vince McMahon. Now what's interesting uh, is he owns the company right but the likeness i think there's this sort of we don't want to deal with the scrutiny of getting it wrong Mm -hmm. or making them look like bad right the only one i really know about that was approved recently uh was i think shane was in an issue i could i I think there was a storyline with shane that got featured but also stephanie stephanie had her own wrestlemania story last Hmm. year written by uh teeny howard and that was approved but uh rodrigo lorenzo who is the artist of the story did a really good job so it it's really weird if i mean but nine times out of ten there's us there's a go you can do it uh i just know also there was a likeness thing in my Survivor Series special, uh, my bud artist Kelly Williams, who was the, uh, I wanted him to work on this for me, mm-hmm. uh, work on this with me. Uh, he had to redraw Virgil like three times. Like WWE wasn't happy with like Virgil's likeness in like this one panel. So I know he had to draw it like three times. See, I, I'm so, surprised it's WWE, not Virgil, because I feel like Virgil has a lot of time on his hands. Right, like, right. Checking. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, it's it's really it's really um it's really sporadic, but it's you're not gonna have a lot of trouble if you know like you know, why would you want to tell a Hogan story right now? There's a lot of Hogan stories to tell, but mm-hmm. you know, you, you paying attention to things. 
I was thinking like, how cool would a story built around the main event of Money in the Bank 2011 be? And then I remembered who was in that event and no, that's not. Yeah, good. that's probably not going to be a go either. Yeah. No, no. as great as it would be. As great as it like, would be because that match is so good. That it is honestly probably so my favorite good. match ever. Like That crowd is hot. That Chicago mm-hmm. crowd is so hot. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's one of my matches I actually turn to when people are like, oh, what's the product like now? And they put on two matches, uh, Money in the Bank, uh, Cena and Punk, 2011, and Sami Zayn versus Shinsuke at TakeOver. Oh, that was so good. I've been following Shinsuke for about 12 years, and it was one of like those matches. I'm like, oh, man, this is a good introductory match. When you don't know who Shinsuke is. You don't know what he's about. Mm-hmm. This is this pretty much him just going bananas. My, so, I have a niece yeah. who loves wrestling, and she didn't know who Shinsuke Nakamura was. I'm like, just watch this. And watch she's this. like, I love, I love him. Oh, she's like, I love him now. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was the one gift I gave to myself last year. At a, uh, we went to WrestleMania, mm-hmm. and that was the one thing I wanted to give to myself was uh, Shinsuke meet and greet. Nice. So I did, the, uh, I, did, I did the VIP access, and... Did a you know quick hello? Got a picture. I got a hug. I gave him the WrestleMania special. So like, just, Very cool. it's, it's an honor. You know, yeah, just it's wild, man. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about this new book that's coming out, WWE Forever. This is a one shot, or is this going to be an ongoing series? It's a one shot. I mean, okay. Because uh, we'll probably do. You know, we have the WrestleMania 2019 special coming out. So they're always they're all like number one, but I, I feel like I feel like this is definitely uh, it's kind of like a three parter sort of thing because sure they had the attitude they had a forever special uh, and they might have something planned. I know Chris is going to have me do something soon. I don't know what yet. I can't even hint at it because I just know it's something coming up. Um, but no, it's not going to be ongoing. The ongoing is the regular ongoing series, uh, right. WWE, which is called WWE. Yep, yep. Booms WWE series. So yeah, no, it's just a number one. Just a, it's a one shot. So. So what's the uh, elevator pitch for this? If you were uh, trying to describe to somebody, this is what this comic is about. Go check it out. Uh, what would be the pitch? Uh, basically, this takes place. I, the stories kind of concentrate on like the little bit of the golden age. A little bit of the golden age around like the late 80s and early to mid 90s, which then I guess is the new era. So kind of fill in the blank on like certain characters. Yeah, there's a Bret Hart story. There's a Bobby Heenan story in there. There's uh, there's my story. And then there's a Rune story. Uh, so just kind of showcasing superstars of kind of like the, I guess the most well-known or sort of like the most, most well-known generation of superstars. Like sure. We're like talking anybody. the, yeah. You're talking the era like, you know, Hogan, Savage, Steamboat. Hogan, Savage, Steamboat. Uh, Roddy Piper. Uh, Roddy Piper. None of those guys are in this, but <laughs> they are. Uh, Andre Piper and Piper also Piper. not there. Also not there, but Andre and Piper, Flair and Junkyard Dog are on the cover. So it kind of mm. gives you like an idea of the sort of time that we're dealing with here. 
And so let's talk about your story in particular. Um, it's called King of Bling, right? Yes. Um, King of the Bling. Yeah. King of the Bling. Okay. Which is itself a really good pun on King of the Ring. Um, I try. And uh, I, try so I, I won't. I won't say too much about the story. But uh, and, and I actually had this wrong. I thought this took place around the SummerSlam '93 match between uh, okay. Razor Ramon and Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man. Um, you it's said a- it's actually a different period. Yeah, so around this time, Money, Inc. are tag champions, so it'd be like the fall of 92. Sure. Uh, and let's before we get into the story, let's, let's describe really quickly who these characters are, just for folks who don't have okay. a frame of reference as to who they are. Like, just a quick sketch. All right, so Razor Ramon is basically uh, Scarface. That's how mm-hmm. Scott Hall pitched the character. Uh, Vince McMahon had never seen Scarface, so he did, like, Tony Montana impression. It was like, that's great. And he's like, yeah, I guess you didn't watch this movie. And then <laughs> Billion Dollar Man is the archetypal, egotistical mayor who has nothing but better in his spare time, but to beat people up in the ring. Mm-hmm. And thinks that people are property. Sure. So Buys and sells his way out of trouble, that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. Thinks, uh, you know, everybody has a price. Mm-hmm. Uh, victories, everything can kind of be won. One but, of the best laughs in professional wrestling. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. <laughs> that wasn't it. That wasn't his laugh. But no, he, no, no, no. Money isn't everything. It's the only thing. And everyone, everyone has a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's great. He's great. Okay, so we have these two characters, very sort of diametrically opposed. And so what's the kind of build up to your story here? So... You know, I think you talked about this a little bit uh, in the in the preemptive show. Mm-hmm. Basically, this is kind of like a changing of the guards. It's my idea when I pitched it was old no- money versus new money. Mm-hmm. And DiBiase wants to go into Brederidge, which is a real shop in Connecticut. It's a real jewelry shop in Connecticut. And I wish I had gave the letter of notes on like to label it, you know, Brighter Ridge, mm-hmm. Ruler, Stanford, Connecticut, because that is where he got the million dollar championship made. And back in the, uh, back in the early nineties, because he couldn't, he couldn't win the WWF championship. So he just created his own. And I, I want to say, I want to say the original cost of the prototype of just the first one was like, hundred and twenty five thousand dollars i want to say because it was it was it was gold plated it wasn't solid gold actual like things i think the diamond if you look at the million dollar bill you know what i'm talking about i know it was and this is shoot money this is not this is not worked right like this is legit it costs that much this this is legit i want to say the actual cost is like a hundred and twenty five thousand dollars uh wow because because the jewels, the diamonds and the jewels were the most expensive part about it. Not the actual like gold plated thing. I think the jewels it actually ended up costing more. So Yeah, uh, that is an expensive belt. Yeah, it's 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 dumb looking. Uh, yeah. and and so uh DiBiase goes back a couple years later and like, hey, I'm I'm back on top. I'm part of this I'm part of Money Inc. We're we're a great tag team. How about you make us two belts? And I, I watched the documentary on how they made the belt, and Bredridge was like, oh, my God, she no, that we would never do something like this again, the man hours alone. 
So I, I kind of implemented a little bit of that about like how they're like, no, we don't want to make you another one because your thing debuted and then all your friends started coming up. Like, no, thank you. So we just made one for Lex Luger. Uh, he, his, his is massive. Uh, so I wanted to, I made that little joke about like some, a whole bunch of like stars and eagles on it. Right. Because he was the sort of like all American hero that kind of took over after Hulk Hogan sort of faded out. Right. Um, yeah, or are, yeah. cause, cause Hogan had left for WCW at that point. Right. Hogan um, didn't leave or, for WCW until 94. Okay. But this is definitely Vince's attempt to try to make a new Hulk Hogan. So very much very uh, American. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the all American, uh, yeah. Lex Express, et cetera. Right. So, so he's like, you know, we, we could do like something small. We could do something small. We don't we don't have the man hours to do something like that anymore. And like, you know, you had, but you, but thank you for your promotion because a lot of your coworkers then came for us for like other things. Here's coming one now, and you know, Razor comes out and you he, you know he's he's decked out and his chains and his white linen suit. And he's there to pick up rings. Uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, this this looks great. This looks great. Ah, oh, thanks. Fantastic. So DiBiase just doesn't understand what's happening. He's getting replaced mm-hmm. on all fronts. And he's like, I don't understand. I have money. And he's like, it's not about the money. We don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And so they get into like a fight, and basically Razor, like I, I, I did put a, a slight Dark Knight Returns reference in there for people who read it. You can easily like spot it at some point. But it was Razor, like, no, you're old. I'm in. Get out. Right. And so I, I kind of wanted this to, as you hinted, the SummerSlam match that kind of leads because Razor was the one that put DiBiase out of the WWF. Retires him. Yeah, he retires him. And I kind of wanted this to be a slight sort of hint at things to come, especially the last panel. And yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, it it was a weirdly poignant story in some ways, I thought. Um, Like... And maybe it's just because I I have a soft spot for Ted DiBiase, but I'm like, oh, I kind of feel bad for him a little bit. I mean, you know, it's it was, it was fun watching him get beat up, but it was also just kind of like, you know, it, it's yeah, it, it, that changing of the guard, I think, really came through well. So I, and, and I I think this speaks in some level to kind of like the mythic quality of the storytelling. Right. Like these are very fundamental concepts. The idea of, you know, the fear of being replaced, that something new and different and, you know, younger, hipper, whatever is going to replace you. These are universal human fears. You're just having them acted out by these like really larger than life cartoon characters. They really are. They really, really are. And especially guys like DiBiase and Razor, if you, you know, I rewatching all those Razor vignettes to get an idea of his dialogue and slang and, mm-hmm. and all that. I'm like, yeah, I, I know he called people Fejo and Vejo and Kavala and Kavala and all that stuff. I was like, how do I even spell this? I mean, most, <laughs> most of it was Spanish. Like, you know, Vejo is old. Fejo is ugly. Um, 
what are some other words I was trying to look up? So I just kind of like look up the rest of the slang and how to spell it. That was that was my main thing. Make sure I got like those words just right. Are you a fan of Razor Ramon? Is he one of your favorites? I kind of got the impression yeah. that he was up there. Uh, uh, yes, uh, when at the at the uh, at the first panel, they showed that Razor cover of him mm-hmm. on his convertible uh, with the icy title, just leaning out of his car, just having like, oh man, Razor's having a great day. Thank mm-hmm. God, Razor's having a good day because Scott Hall probably isn't. No, but, no. But, just like, oh man, you want good things for Razor. You you, you, do. you know what it, you want, you know, you want him to come up. And so yeah, he was he was fun to work with. He was definitely one of those characters when the book was announced, like, oh, man, I want to do a Razor story. Damn. So, yeah. And then I got one. Uh, and the other thing I love about the story is it does go back and it sets up that inner life, that kind of like reality to the kayfabe, where of course there's a jeweler that specializes specifically in building title belts and entrance gear and jewelry for wrestlers. And of course a fight's going to break out there. I mean, this is like, this is comics, this is anime, like it all makes sense. Like this stuff happens, this sort of heightened reality. Is, uh, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, that that's what I kind of like about this world is, Mm-hmm. It's it's cartoonish, but you can add little things to it to make it seem plausible. Like, why wouldn't there be a drawer that makes championship belts? That just seems mm-hmm. like good money. So, yeah. I actually looked up the uh, um, the jeweler that, uh, that he used in the story. And I'm just curious. Like, you should send him a copy of this. I think that means... I don't know. I don't know, like, what their relation is. Uh, yeah, we might not want to be like, yeah, we, we did that like, a long time. We don't want to do it again. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, but yeah, that was the main thing. I, I don't know if I could actually have like used their location or whatever, but in the script, I, I put this in Frederick's Drawers. This is the birthplace of the Million Dollar Championship. So, yeah. So, uh, how do you guys, when, you, when you're sitting down, uh, I don't know if there's like a core editorial team, and you mentioned your editor quite a bit. Like, what? Do you just, is it just you pitch ideas? Like, I want to do this storyline, I want to do these characters, or do they have a thing saying, we want to do a special based on this event, so we want to focus on things from this event? How does that work? Uh, it's both. Okay. It's, it's actually both. Uh, you know, when the thematic issues, Survivor Series, New York, um, sorry, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, Attitude, Raw 25th Anniversary Special, SummerSlam, Stuff like that, it definitely has like a theme, and you kind of want to follow that theme. But for the backups, like for the two page mm-hmm. backups in the issues, anything really goes. If you just want to tell a certain story from any sort of point of view, you you, you can. Uh, the oh gosh, what is that? Uh, those are collected separately in trades. I want to, I guess, put that out there because the main series has its own trade. And then we are considered the then now forever series. You mm-hmm. just saw me uh, quotation marks in my fingers, but you're not here. Mm-hmm. So it's the then now forever series. So we have two trades out of that right now, and that collects all the backups. And those backups can be anything. Uh, Becky Lynch. I know there was a Becky Lynch backup, Goldust backup. You know, my Paul Bear Undertaker backup. Anything sort of like that that kind of collects um, any sort of characters from those timelines. But but as for pitching, yeah, you basically just want to try to keep on theme for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I did get a 
assigned uh, two things twice. Um, I got assigned a Rumble story because I had pitched a similar story where Rumble after 93 with a title. Title was the first time the Rumble was being used for Chipper Russell. Yeah. So I had like Yokozuna in the back. I had mm-hmm. guys, because basically I just wanted to write all these guys. And I was like, how can I do that? Oh, yeah. So I wanted to make sure everybody gets a line. Like, you know, Brett's kind of like sneaking in, like, hey, I hear you guys talking. Uh, and then Chris was like, no, but what if you wrote like Ric Flair winning the Rumble and like the aftermath of that, how he deals with that? I'm like, oh, okay, well, here's how I would do it. And I basically said, you know, he celebrates with Heenan and Hennig and he goes to a shower to, as they like getting ready to celebrate because he just won the title. And Heenan and Hennig, or Mr. Perfect, are like, we need to talk to him about things. Because he just came from WCW where he was like top dog. But there was this huge vacuum, or not huge vacuum, but there was like this huge. I guess, uprising of new guys. Bret Hart was coming up. Uh, Shawn Michaels was coming up. Bret would actually be world champion by the end of the year. And um, Hogan, I mean, Savage was getting phased out to be like commentary, although he would beat Flair at WrestleMania to for the title. So it was basically them trying to say like, hey, you need to not be so full of yourself. Yes, you're Ric Flair, but be mindful. People are going to be gunning for you more than ever. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah, oh, that's great. Do it. So, uh, then for the WrestleMania special, I got to cover the Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat match at WrestleMania 3, which is, as you know, considered like the greatest WrestleMania match it of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I don't need a lot of dialogue. I... I wrote a treatment for it. I hated this treatment for it. And I, I slept on it, and then I turned it in like a day after it was due. And I was like, hey, this that thing I turned in is garbage. Here, use this instead. And I, and I, it came out, oh, God, came out like, and I was still thinking about, oh, you know what would have been really good if I had done this instead. Right. But, uh, but what I wanted to do was treat it as like a classic myth and treat it almost like a fairy tale sort of. So I do like a lot of fairy tale narration and it's just a lot of narrating, but um, uh, Jake Elphick, who was the artist on the series crushed it just absolutely so good. There's a, it's, it's nice and big and bold. And again, it has that mythic yeah. quality of that match has at this point. Like this is like well, the, the pinnacle of the form in that era in a lot of ways. Yeah, pretty much. And and I kind of like the idea that I, I, I sort of did two WrestleManias because even though Savage lost that match, he wins the world championship at the at WrestleMania 4. Mm-hmm. So I basically had like this King Conan sort of vibe to it of like, you know, hey, this is his although he lost his story really is just beginning, but that's a story for like another day. Uh, so, but 
for the other things, I just kind of pitch and just try to keep on theme of things and go from there. Now, are there any concepts that come out where it's like, okay, this is too out of left field or like this is too supernatural or like, do we have to keep this in some balance of reality? Because my, my mind's racing now. Like, like there's some weird things you could really, you could get some really weird oh, sort of great morse territory here. Oh yeah, there's some weird shit I want to do. But uh, like I said, I wanted to do like the Max Moon origin story and maybe, maybe later, maybe who, who knows. Or like, I, I think the one thing I really wanted to do because the backups, they really don't care. Uh, I don't feel like they care as much because there's this one that uh, Andy Belanger did about Roman being like this monster slayer and Braun being like this actual monster. Mm-hmm. So he had to like, go slay the monster. And I'm like, man, damn, that's really good. But it's kind of like out of left field and fun. Teeny did one a couple years ago that was a Finn Balor backup that told the story of how Finn Balor became the Demon King. And it's told through Irish poetry. And it's really good. It's like an Irish, Mm. it's it's like a poem and how he wears like thin, you know, like uh, like the Demon King's cap, mm-hmm. like the tentacles and everything, and that's how he found it, and that's how he becomes the demon. So I don't know. I don't know if there's ever like a limit uh, because I, it just may be what the what Chris or what the company is feeling at the time. But yeah, I, I got some Undertaker stuff I want to tell. I want to. Sure. I want to tell some weird stuff. Oh. That's another person we couldn't use. Speaking of Undertaker in the Survivor Series, at the time, this mm-hmm. picture was it with WWE. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't use Brother Love. So, but now Pritchard signs some sort of deal with him. So I wonder if we can like use him now. It's like I said, it's really weird and um, sporadic. But like I said, nine times out of ten, you can you can definitely use a character. But I just thought of that again. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, like, the, the idea of things getting really far out and, and all that is that, like, the, the text itself, the show itself is already pretty far out, right? I mean, you have one of my favorite ways to describe this is, like, it's real life Street Fighter. Um, it's also a thing <laughs> where uh, you could have a immortal swamp wizard fight a nice Irish boy who loves Legos and is occasionally possessed by a murder demon. Like, I love that to I- me. Yeah, no, that's one story I definitely want to tell because I love yeah. Bray, I love my fat swamp witch, I love him to death, mm-hmm. and they really messed up like that whole story with, so with Randy being like the reincarnated snake god that they worshipped. Uh, it's funny because uh, Scott Snyder is a good friend of mine, and he, you know, anyone in comics knows Scott Snyder now. He's you know contemporary Bat legend at this point. And he's like, man, I want to write, I want to write a WWE story. And just like, Scott, what would your WWE story would be? I'm like, okay, so Rowan and Bray's feud ends with Roman having to go to the Wyatt compound and like their old mansion. And so he finally beats Bray and then Bray like disappears. And then you find out that when uh, then Roman goes out of the mansion and then it's like all dilapidated and mm-hmm. the Wyatt apparently died from some kind of like cult suicide pact and they've been really dead for like 
30 something years and then like the next night husky harris comes back on raw (laughs) holy shit wow that's dark no but that's great but no (laughs) i would hate that but but you get the idea like i don't i don't i don't think there's a i don't think there's a certain limit it, it, it but yeah no the world is the world is great and opens itself up to magic and demon possession and yeah you know, yeah your 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 analogy of it being real life street fighter is pretty great so yeah i think that's that's one of the things i love about it um as a fan, are, is there like a particular era that you gravitate toward favorite wrestlers and like what kind of influence does that have? Like, are there, you know, are, are there certain wrestlers that you just really, really love that you're like, I, you know, like this is the character I want to work on next or, um, or just ones that like, I just love this character, even though if I don't have a story for it, I just love them so much. Yeah. That, I don't know, because that, that's one of those things. Uh, I've been watching wrestling since I was maybe like six. Mm-hmm. So uh, that would be 1989. And, you know, I'm from the South, I'm from Atlanta, so NWA and WCW really big. Like, Ric Flair's a cultural icon down there. And, well, I think Ric Flair's a pop culture icon in itself, but that's the... He, he's, yeah, he's so, transcended but, the, the I, genre a little bit. Right, right. I, I definitely think so. And I don't know, there's a lot of characters I love to work on. You know, each each generation or each age of wrestling has its own stars, has its own up and downs, and... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know if I could pinpoint. So I could just list off like a dozen people. That would get boring after a while. Like, I just want to work on right. I'll work on whoever they give me. I, like, honestly, I'd love to do something Shinsuke related. I'd love to do something Seth Rollins related. I'd love to do something Bret Hart. I'd love to tell a Bret Hart story. I'd, I, there's a Shawn Michaels story you want to tell. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of things that I'd really like to do that I... I haven't covered quite yet. I just keep thinking about like when I was younger, I was a Goldberg mark. I'm not going to lie. Um, oh, that's fine. I'm from Atlanta. So like, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't, yeah. Honest, I still am a little yeah. bit, but when, when he did his little run, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, he's ancient now, but when the music comes out and he's got the guys escorting the ring, I'm like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. We, we, you know, he'd come out, you know, be escorted, you know, yeah. He's the baddest man on the planet. Why does he need eight deputy sheriffs around him? But whatever, right. sure. Well, but you know the reason for that, right? It was to protect everybody else from him. Oh, I didn't that even was, think about that. That was the stated reason, great. apparently. Oh my god, that's pretty great. So. Yeah, and and least, so Chris Jericho is like probably my all-time favorite wrestler, and. Uh, one of my favorite moments ever was he was trying to copy Goldberg's entrance and got yep. locked out of the arena. That was top yeah. quality television. Jericho, when he really wanted to book everything, you know, he was doing his own program before they caught on, mm-hmm. which was kind of great because it showed you that like, no, this guy has a good feel for the business. And then you see what he's, you know, what he just signed with, with uh, um, AEW and hopefully that could lead them to good things. So, yeah, no, Jericho's in my top ten, I think, at this point. Uh, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I no one should be apologizing for like, oh, I'm this kind of mark or yeah. I'm like, you know, yeah, he was he had some good stuff. I can see why you're a fan. And it's yeah. funny because I was at I tackled like a loon when he beat Lesnar. I did. I'm just like, I can't oh, believe yeah. you're doing this in twenty seventeen, but I love it. Oh like, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we covered that in the uh 
we cover that in the Survivor Series issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that was uh, that was 2016, I think. Oh, it's 26. Sorry, 2016. But we do cover that story in the Survivor Series special. I had so, a great time during that one. I will say, that. yeah, it was pretty bananas. But yeah, I I don't know. Uh, I have I I talked a lot about wrestling throughout this year when I was tabling at cons, mm-hmm. and I got some friends who weren't really into it at all. Like they know names like you know Stone Cold and Rock and mm-hmm. you know stuff like that, but I'm like just watch it now. Give it a try. Watch it now. Yeah. And so I met up with them at Magfest and I'm like oh yeah cool who are you into now? And he's like uh I like Oscar very very like shyly I'm like oh cool yay Oscar's rad. She's and, she's one of my favorites right now like probably my favorite honestly. Okay I just want to say something stupid I'm like there's no wrong answer guy there no. every character. I believe every character now definitely has a reason to have fans. Mm-hmm. I feel like even if it's like, oh, he's got good music or he's got a good finisher, good ring attire, whatever he's jamming to, like, yeah. So, you know, that's that's how I kind of feel. Like, there's no wrong answers in wrestling. So to kind of like, uh, kind of build out a little bit from there. Um, so we actually did have a listener question from at CBL1978. Uh, he's is a friend of yours, I understand. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, so shout out to Chris. Yeah, um, yeah. I had a question, like, uh, and, and this is something I think about too, because um, I, I've been working on some projects kind of outside academia, and I'm still trying to get the get a handle on like the formatting and stuff like that for certain things. Um, how do you work on your stories? Do you plot out the story, then you write a script, or do you just start writing the script? Uh, that kind of thing. Like, what's what's the process? Oh uh, my, my process is super tedious. Uh, so. I basically get an outline of, because when you pitch, you pitch and it's like two sentences. Right. When you basically like have the faintest idea for a story. And, you know, they review like, okay, well, here's the synopsis. And I think I literally just said for the Forever series was Razor and DiBiase fighting in a jewelry shop. That was Mm -hmm. it. That's all I said. And Chris like, yeah, cool. So from there, I actually had to like construct sort of an idea of where I was going and what I wanted to do. And then I was like, okay, well, this is old money versus new money. Uh, I, I know what kind of shots I wanted to use. So what I do is I take my Moleskine and basically draw rectangles. I draw rectangles. I draw how many rectangles it takes on one page in like, a, I think... I think this one was a 10-pager, so like three, three, and one basically get you an idea. On the mm-hmm. opposite side of the book, P1, P2, P3, P4, P5, up to like, you know, P10, mm-hmm. and I fix it out. I'm like, okay, well, this actually leads to here. What do we see in this panel? Well, it's, it's DiBiase of the jewelry shop. Uh, then now Razor comes in. Now they fight. More fighting. More fighting. Resolution. So from there, I basically have an idea of how I want to pace the book. And then I kind of go from there and I kind of pace out like, okay, well, if I have three panels here, I kind of need like five, six panels here, maybe seven panels if there's not a lot of action. Ron Mars was a mentor of mine um, for the past like 10 years. Uh, he, DC veteran, top cow veteran, Mm-hmm. Just all around great guy. Thor veteran, Silver Surfer. 
And he basically has this whole thing about like, you know, if there's a lot of dialogue, don't have a lot of action. But if there's a lot of action, you don't need a lot of dialogue. So I see books that try to do a bunch of both and mm -hmm. you can see like, oh, it's so cluttery. Yeah. So it's like you have superhero fights where they're like having full on soliloquies in the middle of punching Galactus or something like right. that. Right. I, I can't I can't do that. And right. so um so basically I so there's that so you actually read it, I'll let you read it. And mm -hmm. there's that page of Razor walking into the shop. Mm -hmm. No dialogue except for like the last panel. But it's a lot of like action. It's Razor stepping up, DiBiase's reaction. Razor, like, it's it's from almost DiBiase's point of view. Like, okay, he sees his greasy hair. He sees his chains. He sees his boots. He sees his car. And DiBiase is finally just like, this is the guy you want to deal with? So like, you finally just have, like, that reaction right there. But then you mm -hmm. notice when I get back into the dialogue of them talking, it's not a lot, a whole lot going on. It's just, it's, there's stuff going on, but it's actionary and reactionary. It's action, sorry, it's action reactionary of them going back and forth of like insulting each other. They're, they're, it's basically, you know, um, a shoot right then and there. So a shoot interview is basically, you know, where they kind of like do promos and insult each other and stuff like that. That for those yeah and it's not scripted it's based on reality a little bit more yeah right so yeah. it's it's yeah yeah shoot is based on reality so it's it's them and then when the fighting actually starts i i did since we're working in such a closed space of just a jewelry shop and not like in a ring and not like an arena it's very closed in but i wanted to be like oh well you know what there's so much they can destroy here <laughs> so so yeah, that's that's basically my concept. I have like a concept and then I get like an outline and then I work on the pacing and then I go full script from there. Okay. I don't know. I, I feel like yeah, I feel like it's convoluted, but I, I also feel like I get better work out of it. I look at Tom uh Tom King's a buddy of mine and I, I look at his scripts a lot of times and Scott Snyder's scripts. Scott's a little more detailed, but Tom's is so short. He has like mm -hmm. this shorthand. It's just like, how the hell do you do this? How? My my panel descriptions are like four or five sentences each, and yours are maybe four words. And it just right. like I don't know how you do this. How? So, uh, but I, I try to, I try to not be overbearing with direction for artists I work with for the first time. Uh, and eventually I feel like people who have worked with me more than once get the sort of idea of what I'm looking for. Right. But yeah, that's, that's my process, Chris. There you go. Um, there you go. so a couple other things I want to ask about. So you also contribute to Newsarama, uh, I as you do, said, yeah. You've got a his, you got a long history of working in uh, writing about comics and media and that kind of thing, um, but you're also writing comics themselves now. Uh, so, are there any specific challenges or advantages to both covering the industry and actually creating it? Uh, there's a lot of conflict of interest to play a lot of the times. Like, obviously, since mm -hmm. I contribute to Newsarama, they couldn't cover this. Right. Uh, even when the solicits went up, there was an editorial note like he is a contributor to it. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like 
I, I feel like I don't actually, you know, have like an outlet at hand. So basically just going to have to go out and do my own sort of press and go from there. But at the same time, it's like, oh, you have like this body of work. You know, you are reliable with deadlines and people can see things. I mean, I'm not the first writer turned, you know, comics maker. I mean, Andy Corey mm -hmm. from... I think he was with Comics Lines for a few years. Now he's an editor. Uh, I think he's a Vertigo editor. Uh, Narcissus too, right? A what? Uh, Evan Narcissus. Yeah, 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 definitely. He did and, Black Panther for a little bit. Yeah, and who else? Uh, Chris Sim, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, everyone starts out as, like, fans. And... You know, I feel like that's how we all started. So we always don't have the same sort of path. But a lot of the times, yeah, it is disheartening when a publisher doesn't want you to pitch, but they're like, hey, well, we do have this project coming up. I'm like, yeah, fine, work is work. But mm -hmm. it, it is sort of like that's not what I want to be stuck doing or stuck being labeled. I know um, Jody, who wrote uh, Shirtless Bear Fighter, mm -hmm. uh, tried to do, and then he did uh, The Weatherman for Image as well. And people called him, like, former X-Men editor. And he's like, but I, I, I've written, like, I haven't done X-Men stuff in years. I want mm -hmm. to be known as, like, a writer. Can you, can you put me as, like, shirtless bear fighter, guys? So, yeah, I, and I kind of live that. I, I, I know pretty much, you know, when I do start branching off and have more projects with things, that it's going to be, you know, you know journalist turned creator now does this. And that's right. that's fine. That's going to be the story for a little while, but I don't think it's going to be the story for long. So, and uh, let's, let's talk about one of those things that I think you're gonna that's gonna hasten that along. Um, so uh, let's talk about some of the other projects you're working on. I know there's one in particular. Uh, we have a mutual uh, acquaintance, uh, pal of mine on uh, Twitter. Joe Hunter is doing the art for this book. Um, it's called Beast Heart Strikers, and I want to hear more about what you guys are working on with that because I think it sounds pretty rad. Uh, I think so. <laughs> uh, basically, Joe and I uh, became Twitter friends last last year somehow. I don't know, probably Russell talk. And we found, you know, we found each other and basically just, hey, you got some cool shit. And if you ever want to collab something, let's talk at Heroes. Uh, Joe didn't make it to Heroes that year, but we just kind of kept in contact. And I'm like, what kind of book do you want to do? And he's, you know, we just like, yeah, let's just do a Power Ranger love letter. I'm like, yeah, that's great. Let's do it. So I, we came up with the name. Well, I, I came up with the name of the book. He was chipping away at character designs and character names and descriptions and bios and everything. And Joe, Joe did a lot of the initial grunt work for sure. Uh, grunt work? I don't think that's the word. Grunt work. Let's go with grunt work instead of basically like designing what animals to use and go check in every now and then because I was in the middle of what was I in? I was in the middle of moving um, probably around the time everything was really coming together and he's like hey can the can the leader be like a Finnick Fox character I'm like sure done yeah. <laughs> and so we we kind of have this shorthand of like no idea is too dumb at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, I was like, you know, if you if you want to do the bad guys, like 
can the bad guys be based on cryptids? I'm like, you know what? It's in the movie. Sold. Done. Just, I, I, I'm, I'm open. I'm easily suggestible. I'm easy to work with. And so basically we have uh, this story on this alien city, Neo-Ray. And uh, these, these powerful warriors were defeated by like this great evil and he was sent back and like he got into a tomb and he died and she was sent to like interdimensional so she's kind of like the zordon i know i'm basically summarizing it pretty quickly because i could talk about this like i could go through sure. the bible this series for the most part but she's not really zordon she's just kind of i i kind of put her as like the sorceress from masters of the universe meets uh synergy from gem so uh she, her her powers are real time she can you know phase in and out of like the reality if she needs to um her name's cardia because i thought it'd be funny to have like a cardiac pun mm-hmm. uh and there's you know five five youths there's no age i, I don't really want to make them teenagers i think one of them is a teen but the rest are kind of like just young adults uh because there's sure. a there's a story about how one of them has college um, initiation. So there's like them moving into college and then like that college gets attacked and he has to like uh, protect his identity from his parents who are helping him move in and right. all the while save, save the campus. So yeah, there's, there was a whole bunch of like just little love letter things. But as the story progressed, it was like, oh, you know, this is actually like Sailor Moon and like Steven Universe too. So we like there's there's character charts, there's story charts. Um, we we try to get it together. Uh, uh, most of the pages are done; they just have to be colored and lettered. And uh, we try to have it ready for New York last year, but Joe came down with pneumonia, and he basically was out of commission for like three weeks. So that put a that put a stop on things, but. I mean, we kept working, like, we kept on working on it when we can. If you follow, you know, we have our own Twitter account for the book, Beast Strike, at Beast Strikers, one word, or Joe, which is Joe underscore Hunter. You can see, like, no, we're still chipping away at this thing. This thing is not, like, on the back burner. It's it's getting made. And so I was, I'll be tabling at C2E2 with uh, Spencer and Locke writer and co-creator David Pepos, and I'm going to have, I, I think we're going to make um, a small batch of, a small batch of uh, basically what we're calling pilot issues. Artisanal. Artisanal, right, right. Basically, you get an idea of the story, but that story itself may not be an actual story what happens. This gives you an idea of what we're about. Gotcha. So, yeah, not quite a zero issue. But basically, like, no, this is kind of what I want. I, 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 I compare it to what um, Andrew McLean did with Headlopper a couple years, like, oh, God, like six years ago at this point, where he did a Kickstarter, and he, but he still had, like, um, sample. It was basically, like, pitch samples or, like, convention, convention exclusives, like, you know, this could be a thing, this could not be a thing taking it around for companies but this is what we can do and basically that's what i want to want to show is this is what we can do we're 
uh, I talked to some publishers last year. There's still like some interest, but we just got to get it out and so they can see it in print and hopefully they like it. If not, I think we're just going to do comicsology because why not at that point? And I think it speaks to a lot of me and Joe as a team and something on our resume. So, and that's the, cool. that's the whole idea. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing it. You guys always come back yeah, and another another episode. Thanks. Uh, okay, so uh, I think we're about going to wrap it up there. Um, uh, just as a reminder, WWE Forever Number One comes out January thirtieth. Where else? Uh, what else you got coming out? Anything else you want to plug? Uh, how can people uh, find out what you're working on? Reach you? Uh, connect with you? That kind of thing. Twitter. That's pretty Twitter. easy. Uh, my handle is uh, at pitstop. Yeah, P I T T S E D underscore O F F. Slight pun. It's a pun. Yes, that's it's a probably pun. the easiest way. I, I don't use Facebook all all that much, except for like marketing stuff. But Twitter, I do the most in actual engagement. So yeah, just check me out. You can find a you can go into Comicsology and search my name, and that's how you get all my stuff. And hopefully, you find something else you like along the way with other creators that I've worked with. That's, that's the easiest way. Yeah. Well, Lamp Pitts, thank you very much for being on Serious Fun. Really appreciate it. Come back anytime. All right, you got to say goodnight to the bad guy. <laughs>